It's like this is all a game, and I haven't been told what the rules are. Or even worse, if I had, I am ill-equipped to follow them. All I can do is provoke. I become spiteful. I'm just as bad as they are. They? I'm... I'm worse. I fucking hate myself for it. I'm... I am so fucking lonely. Why is the world so base? Why is it so insensitive? Why is it so selfish? Why am I? This is how we do it. Okay. I really am curious to what your preconceived notion was of me when I came in. I really... <laughs> the good, the bad, the oh, ugly. Oh, what a great question, Because you, you, out of so many people... I mean, everyone did, but you definitely called me on my shit on multiple occasions. When did I, I do it in a respectful way, though? Yeah, of course you did it in a respectful okay. way. I mean, obviously, I, I was, like, super fresh, so it's like, that's not what yeah. I want to hear, but... God, that's a great question. Am I talking loud enough? Is this all good? Yeah, Can you see the levels on your Yeah, your levels there? are fine. Okay. Um, what was my preconceived notion? I knew you were Ryan's friend. Yeah. So, and I love Ryan with all my heart and soul, and I had just spent, you know, a lot of time with him. And so, it was kind of like one of those things where any, you know, how you know somebody who you, like, are tight with, and if they're tight with friend somebody, then you're like, okay, that's... They, they should be solid, so yeah. I kind of had that, you know, um, I knew that you did this already, so I already yeah, was I, like, cool, so I, you know. Well, Ryan um, told me about what you did before I even came down here. Yeah. So. Yeah, I shared, I shared with Ryan a lot about do, doing radio, but that was pretty much it. I kind of just was like, he's probably going to be cool, you know, he's creative, he's, a, you know, he's a junkie, like, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> um... 
Yeah. But once I got here, like... Okay, so that's preconceived. Yeah. That's pretty much it, dude. I just thought that you were going to be a cool dude who, you know, was creative and, and got lost in the illness like we all do, right? Yeah. Um... Yeah, and then when you got here, I thought you were way younger than how old you told me. Just because of the way we conversated, not in an immature way, but in a in a way that, like, you were current with the times and, like, you're very, like... Um, oh, no, I'm very immature. I, I have no... I don't <laughs> fuck around. Yeah, but, but I don't mean, like, when you need to turn it off, you can, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, I was like, you dress cool, like, oh, and, man. you know, you, you have good style, you're cool to talk to, um... But you're very, I thought that you were very shy and very like for somebody who, cause I did, I had been doing radio at that time for like over a year. And so in doing this kind of stuff, like you have to have a personality that there's gotta be some point in your life where you can turn that on and, and like talk to people and be sociable. And so for you, that's probably really easy to do in this environment. Well, yeah, it's just a mic. It's not like you're staring in the faces of everyone who's <laughs> listening to your show, you know? Exactly, I do, yeah. I'll do Zoom meetings, and I see everyone's faces, and then I'm like, oh, I, I don't, I'm not down to share. It's so weird. It's like they're all, yeah, Zoom meetings are bizarre. They just, I, I have mean, to pull it up to the grid of, like, at least four people, so I feel like I'm talking to somebody. Yeah, well... The ones I do, there's at least 25 people, and then it's like, you have all those faces, like, even they're digitized, they're staring right at you, and I'm just like... Or they're oh. not paying attention, and you're just like, God, I guess what I'm saying sucks, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, and then some of these Zoom meetings, people usually, like, try to take them over and, like, hijack them, and then they're like... There's, like, this weird Zoom meeting etiquette now where people are, like, don't stare at the screen, and they're, like, painting on a canvas in the background, and I'm like, dude, would you do that in a real meeting? It's so weird. I'm doing, like, one or two a week right now, and, um, but, I mean, back to your question, like, that's pretty much it, you know, uh, and, and I thought that you struck me as very, like, very shy and very, like, uncomfortable or unsure of yourself. I guess I oh, should say sure. like a little like like you had trouble making eye contact with me. I remember um, noticing that um, you were kind of fidgety, like when we would talk. Oh yeah. I guess I was. I'm more aware of people now that I look back on it. But yeah, you were unsure of yourself, and you seemed a little like like a little shaky. Not like physically shaky, but like okay, I don't body, know. Yeah, body yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I can. De- yeah. Well, I mean, I've never. This was the first inpatient I did. Everything else was like outpatient, court-ordered drug program. So I could get in, do a meeting, and get out and be in my comfort zone. And I was like, this was like the the realization where it's like, okay, I just signed. Especially when I first got here, I'm like, dude, I don't know anyone here. I just got here, and I'm stuck here. So I was so in my fucking head about everything. I think my first day, it was just like... Sitting in my room, and Richie used my bunkie, which was, he was a good bunkie to have. That's you right, know, yeah. He wears Hep C like a badge of honor. He's, I just got cured of Hep C like a month and a half oh, ago. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, dude. Shout, out, shout out to Harvoni for that. 90-day treatment, or? <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, eight weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, so less than 90 days. So wait, did you feel side effects for that medication, or? I was going through a lot of other stuff. We can cuss, huh? Whatever the fuck we want. Um, I was going through a lot of other stuff at that time. I have some real 
uh, I've been going through a lot of stuff with my sleep and insomnia in, in, Me the, too. in the fall, and uh, and we could talk about that more later, but um, so I couldn't really tell if it was other things I was trying out or if it was the Harvoni, but I don't think so. Like, ultimately, through those eight weeks, I was okay. Like, I got up every day, and I, I felt a little foggy, but I always feel a little foggy, so... yeah. Um, no, it was cool. I mean, for, for curing that, you know, disease, it was totally worth it. I paid 10 bucks, dude. Really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yep. Wait, what about the, did you get any side effects from the hep C itself or did you even know you had it? I don't think it? so. Because like, I found out I had it with, uh, when I was in treatment, I went to treatment one time and that was it. And I got it that time. So the first time I was in rehab, um, I found out I had hep C. And it was the most embarrassing thing, dude, because all these dudes go over to the... These people used to come from the West Side Neighborhood Clinic once a month and test people for hep C and AIDS with finger prick tests. I hate those, yeah. I had and so thing. I had shot so much dope with so many dirty needles and shared so much, like, with people that I knew had hep C that I was like, okay, I know I probably have it, but let me just go, like, no, find out for sure, yeah. you know? So I went over to the, it was over, there was this little room, you know, before the remodel of, of the facility. Um, and so everyone got tested, right? Finger prick, boom, whatever, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And like, they call us all back over and like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Like, cause they're all <laughs> negative. Right. And, yeah. the, and I'm like the last one. And the guy's like, <laughs> and he like calls me over and tells me that I was positive while everyone else is like celebrating. And like, I was just really ashamed about it even though I knew that I probably had it. So that was a weird experience. And then uh, one of the counselors in the, um, Danny was like, he made me feel so okay about it. He's like, dude, you weren't really out there doing it right if you didn't get hep C, so it's okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And I was then, yeah, dude, yeah. so many people have it. You know, it's such a common thing. And, so, yeah, yeah, super common. I, I actually was convinced I had it too because... I'll bleep this out, but I shared needles with when he got kicked oh out of here. God. Yeah, right before I came here. Because it was like, by then, I was just like hanging out with anyone who could oh, yeah. get me well. Yep. And he was, he was shady as fuck. For sure. So I'd go to like, I went to some Motel 6 and him and someone else that I got kicked out of here are just like getting loaded and I, I'm like... I'm the only one with the car, so I'm hooking them up with rides so I can get free dope. And he'd yeah, already yeah. have them loaded in a rig. So I just, yeah. I was like, or he'd give me some. He's like, I oh, just used it once, man, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> whatever. At that point, I was like, yeah, well, this is my option, you know? But yeah. I got Hep B when I was in jail. Wow. Which was weird, but I guess it goes, it, the doctor said it's going to go away on its own or this or that. But I mean, I would see crazy shit like, the trustees would be serving food to like other floors on the in the towers and you know they you know they would gas people if they didn't get enough seconds or or whatever so they would take their serving spoons and they'd be so pissed off they'd like dunk them in the toilets to after before they served them and I was like I'm yeah. sure that's happening to me too I'm eating who knows This what is I'm in eating. LA? Yeah. Yeah. It was that was, place was disgusting like I don't know how I didn't get staff in that place because like, there's no yard. You don't go outside. Yeah, I never been. I never got busted in L.A. County, Orange County, and Riverside County, but never L.A. You, I mean, where did if you're in Riverside, do, where did they I ran you? around L.A. though for sure. Yeah, dude. yeah. I was homeless in Long Beach for like 
a year. I lived in this shed down there in Belmont Shores, which is trippy because it's a really rich area of Long Beach. Yeah. Um, I ran around Skid Row, like, yeah. But anyways, hold on. Back to you because that was your <laughs> initial question. Uh, that was that was my initial experience of you, and then. Um, I mean, how real do you want to get with this? Because I can share with you exactly like how I saw you. How I saw you. The realer, the better. Honestly, I spent a lot of time with you, man. You know, I know. Like I spent a lot of time with you, and I never wanted to do this before you finish because, you know, it's just like I felt this is this might be unethical, but whatever. You're done, so you're you're out of the program. But um, I saw you struggle with a lot of things that I think were hard for you to face. to be realities that you had to deal with, like, um, girls. You know? <laughs> yep. I mean, dude, I, I'll be completely honest. No. Like, tell me if I'm wrong or if it's no, too much or whatever, on. but, but girls, right? I mm-hmm. mean, um, and, uh, social media stuff like internet and, and just like having to separate that from real life interaction and like, what's too much of that, right? And yeah. what's enough? Because I would always tell you, like, you still want to be creative and you still want to have this outlet, but you also still want to be able to like focus on life and not have this be something that's pulling you away from being productive or being sociable or being, you know, whatever you need to be in the world outside of the internet world, you know? Yeah. And like, dude, you got jammed up for a bunch of stuff when I you did. were when you were here. Like, I did. You got jammed up for a bunch of stuff relating to internet girls. <laughs> uh, social media, all that kind of stuff, right? So, and I saw you walk through all that, and I know it's hard, you know. And I know uh, when you when all that stuff was taken away, and we talked about it, you know, like is this the right thing? And it's like, well, if if you don't go through this now, when will you ever be taken away from this again? Maybe this will show you how much it means to you, you know, or, or whatever. So, um, and dude, like you came out on the other side of that, so. With, yeah, I pa- I graduated by the skin of my teeth. But nah, I could say from the other side it was it wasn't that it wasn't that like you were okay, you know. But I I watched you walk through all and and I know that that was difficult because you held you hold these things so true to you as like part of your belief system and your values, and to say that these things have a negative effect on my life that I've held so true to myself for so long. That's hard to do, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, I, that's really hard to do, and, and I watched you do that, and so, yeah, that was... I respect you for that, because you could have bolted and just been like, I'm going to go to sober living, and I'm going to... Because I want to do what I think is right for myself, but you took... You didn't. You, you stayed and took direction, and, and... Yeah. I think the biggest thing was I had to really come to face with, like, the escapism I got from internet and seeking validation from other people even if they're complete strangers and the girls the girl aspect i mean i that all like a shit ton of my relationships were with random girls i found on facebook i remember yeah i (laughs) i'd be in pasadena working at a dispensary and i'd pop like three oxys and be flirting with like three different girls (laughs) and then i was like well i have money so i'd fly them out or they'd fly out and i'm just getting in relationships with complete strangers that was like my my comfort zone and even when i got caught with my phone right before like the day before i got caught with my phone i remember like 
this one girl was hitting me up on Instagram and was like scared. I mean, I almost got, well, I am. I'm thankful I did get caught with my phone because yeah. she would say things like, oh my God, when I, she was, <laughs> so embarrassing. She's like, as soon as I get that $100,000 from my ex-husband for giving me a concussion, I'm going to drive down there and break you out of rehab. I think you told me about that. Yeah, actually. she's like, do I need to bring the bolt cutters? And she's like, I keep... <laughs> I keep meth in my glove box at all times, and good for her. We'll go man. on a road trip and sleep on the beach, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is ha it's <laughs> what am I getting myself into?" So now it's like, at least now, when I engage with people that I don't know very well, at least the red flags pop up where I, where it's like that weird con voice of consciousness, or yeah, you know, they're it's like, "Oh, this is not healthy behavior at all." That's good, man. You know, but um. And so now, it, yeah, it's a lot of it just finding balance with, because, I mean, a lot of people are addicted to social media or, oh, for or, sure. or uh, you know, getting likes or portraying their life a certain way. And I think that was another thing is I was able to wear a mask and, and hide aspects of myself that I was ashamed of. Yeah. It was easier to, like, hide the fact that I was relapsing. But, I mean, I think the shyness thing also became because... You know, I had dealt with all these, you know, horrible breakup. I was dealing with uh, just like weird feelings of abandonment and uh, all that, all that bullshit. So it was like, plus I was super fucking uncomfortable. Like yeah. I think once, <laughs> once I kind of got my groove here, it was um, the they crept in like, oh, what can I get away with? You know? Yeah. And I mean, then we uh, know that man. And, and then you know because it's like. There was only it was like the uncomfortable the uncomfortable feelings were so overwhelming. I was like, all right, what so more socially acceptable ways can I act out without putting a needle in my arm? <laughs> yeah, you know, because I was like, I couldn't imagine getting loaded in an inpatient or a sober living. I think that I would just be so stuck in my head and paranoid, like, oh, they're gonna know or this or that. So I was like, okay, well, I can. I can get, I could drink a smuggled bang in the, or I could get on, you know, have a phone oh, and reach the, the outside bangs. world. Yeah. I quit drinking bangs. I can't do that shit anymore. Good for it's you. It's been like man. four weeks. They just, they hurt my. I remember you used stuff. to have that. You would have that shaker cup with like half, <laughs> half filled with coffee and half filled with pre-workout. Oh yeah. And I'd be like, "Are you gonna work out?" And you're like, "No, it's just, <laughs> I just like to drink this in the morning." I was like, "Dang, dude." Yeah, I was a caffeine addict to the max. I mean, I oh, still man. am. So am I. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, I was, was consuming heavy caffeine when I first got clean. That <laughs> it was just the pre-workout that was funny, because it was like, that stuff's intense, even when you do work out and take it, you know? Let alone when you don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And plus, everyone around here was getting super strung out on caffeine and pre-workout, so I was like, oh, I want to yeah. be part of this. So that's a long answer to your question. You know, you you worked, you did the work, and and you're still sitting here happy and like, I mean, given everything that's going on in the world, like, you're still you still look good to me and sound good. Thank you. And, and seem happy and and like I've been doing this for a few years, you know, and I've seen a lot of shit and I've seen uh, a lot of people fuck their entire lives up on day three sixty six, you know, and so like I and you you know. That's the, and for you to yeah. not be one of those people is, is is a big deal, you know, so... I appreciate that. I mean, yeah. I think I've never seen more... I mean, yeah, I'm in, like, 
a fellowship and I'm surrounding myself with people in recovery, but like now I've never seen more people go out than since I come to, came down here, which I guess yeah. just comes with the, the territory, you know? Yeah, dude, like I, I don't know. You hear all that stuff in like the 12, or I guess we'll talk. Yeah. All this, you hear all those things in the 12 step meetings that are like, the road to recovery is paved with, with the, the bones. bones. Like, yeah. <laughs> miss me with that shit, dude. Like, I, hear that I don't know. From I think, all the time. Yeah, like, I think, I think because I'm a counselor and I work in the field and I've worked with a lot of people and I've, and I've, and I've, and I've intimately worked with a lot of clients and all that stuff is like, I have more of a heart for like, I have more, I don't know. I don't want to say that, but I, I just don't like, I would never say that because that stuff to me is tragic. And like, I've, you know, I've experienced that personally with like losing my mom in sobriety, losing my closest friend, you know, uh, Wes in December. Like I've, yeah. you know, I've, um, I've lost, I don't know. I just, that's yes. People, people will go out and people will die. And, and like, I just don't like, I don't know. I don't like when people breeze over it and they're just like, wow, it's like, I, I always want to ask them, have you lost anybody close to you? Like really like, not like a sponsee. I mean like, you know, have you like lost a close friend or something? Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. And it, it's just, a, it's a hard thing because then it's like, well, how close do you build a relationship or a friendship with someone Cause I mean, that fear looms over me, you know, even Dude. if, you know, you're dating and they're in recovery and you're like, well, what if they go out? Like, what do yeah. I do? How do I build healthy boundaries? I'll be a hundred, a hundred percent real with you right now for my first two and a half, I'd say two years of recovery. I had a ton. I, I kicked it with a lot of people who had the same amount of time as me and a lot of people who were new in recovery and like all of them relapsed, lied to me, you know, borrowed money, never paid me back, yeah. never showed up when they said they were going to show up, just like dirtbag stuff, which is fine. I understand that completely. But I realized after about two years of that, that like, I'm going to surround myself with people who have been doing this for a long time, who are uh, going to be trustworthy, who are going to show up when they say they're going to show up who like are just going to be good friends and good people. And yeah. so like in my, in my life right now, I have a small circle of friends who have been doing this for a, for a decent amount of time who like, I'm not worried are going to like try and hook up with my girlfriend or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, it's just yeah. some weird, some weird stuff like that. So, and that's the honest truth. And like, I'll, I'll always be there and you know me, dude, like I'll always be there to help somebody if I'm asked to, Yeah, I will, I will, you know, sponsor anybody. I will, you know, whatever, but, like, at the end of the day, my circle of friends has become very, very small, dude, like, yeah. that's the, that's the honest, the honest truth is that in the last two years, my circle has become, of friends has become really small by choice, because I just got sick of, like, you know, getting close to people, and then just, like, yeah, getting, I don't know. <laughs> getting let down, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think that's healthy, too, because it's, like, Dealing with drama and dealing with, with all that, it, 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 that energy affects you and rubs off on you. And if you surround yourself with people with more clean time with you, they can give you better, you know, good advice yeah. and someone to, you know, lead by example. It, it affects the decision making abilities you have as you go through it. You know. Yeah, addiction is such a powerful mental illness that the most 
solid, genuine, nicest person can earn my trust in a short amount of time, and then addiction is the the mind behind the addict is so twisted and delusional and warped when that when that insanity and that stuff kicks in that makes you lose the ability to see the truth about the world around you that that same person can try and hook up with my girlfriend the next week. I swear to God, dude. (laughs) And it's like, and so I just like, you know, I, and you just, these are the things that I've learned only by experience, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and cause I like, I like to have friends. I've had a lot of friends my whole life. I didn't start getting high and getting drunk because I didn't feel like I fit in. I fit in perfectly. You Mm -hmm. know, I was just curious, honestly, like, (laughs) so, so yeah, that's an interesting topic. You know, I, I talked to my sponsor a lot about that and, and, and he told me like, that's okay. You know, if you want to have a small circle of friends of people that you trust, that you're not afraid are going to burn you that have been walking this road for a decent amount of time, you have every right to do that. You know? Yeah. Let's so, get into your drug use though. I want to hear your, your background. Cause <laughs> do we need to say like how we know each other or that, that doesn't matter. Um, right? You can write that in the little description. I could right? do that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can say your first name, right? Yeah. This is, he was uh, part of staff at my rehab facility and uh you, can we shout out your radio show i can plug a whole bunch of shit right uh, now <laughs> plug, plug away. no i'm just kidding yeah so uh my radio show is called your life in america it's an fm radio show it's not technically a podcast if you just search your life in america 96.5 fm on instagram you can find the instagram page there's a link to the blog there's a link to the soundcloud I've got like 55 shows on the SoundCloud, 10 episodes of Your Life in Prison, which is like... Prison Tales. Yeah, people I've interviewed um, who have been in the California State Penitentiary and, and just share their experience with that. And because um, I worked with a client who was sent back to jail after completing a year of treatment, uh, having a job, having all of these things. From prior. Yeah, we went to court with him, the yeah. whole thing. Fuck Ventura County. (laughs) Dude, they're so, like, yeah, anyways, so they sent him back to jail, and I ultimately think that that threw him so far off of the road, you know, or whatever, the path that he ended up relapsing, and, and that, like, broke my heart, dude, and I was so mad at the broken criminal justice system at that time that they could not see how this person had grown and and was like a whole nother person. And so I was like, I'm going to start interviewing these people on the, I'm going to interview this person on the radio so he can tell everybody who would be willing to listen how, how this played out for him, you know, and how, and how the criminal justice system was just broken. And it turned into this whole thing and I had a bunch of people on. So those are all on there. Um, yeah, I've got eight episodes of that. Uh, most of the people who I've interviewed, Wes, you know, my closest friend in recovery, passed away. I got three episodes with him of that. Uh, most of the people are using, not all of them, but... YourLifeInAmerica.com is my blog, which is... Uh, I started that in the fall of 2017. Uh, I wanted to get into sports, like being a sports writer. Mm-hmm. So I started writing about baseball and football and all of these things. And it ended up just becoming this blog about my life currently and and you know in the past and whatever and uh I got into community radio through a friend and I started doing local sports on the radio and I realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do so I took your life in America as the name of my blog and I turned it into a radio show because I learned how to do radio 
I learned how to uh, format a show. I learned how to work all of the boards in the studio, record. I learned how to do all that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to take Your Life in America and turn it into a radio show. And I can do whatever I want with it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, t- there's no, it's like inspired by Seinfeld humor. So <laughs> if you listen to the shows, it's all about random social situations that people deal with that are funny and weird that everybody deals with. But it's just like Seinfeld, you know? Um, I interview rappers, punk bands, hardcore bands, uh, teachers, students, athletes, whatever I want to do. Um, so that's the radio show. Yeah, it's on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've been sober for almost five years. Five years? And you're how old for anyone listening? Because honestly, I know uh, you're younger than I for- me. I couldn't fucking forgot how old I was for a second. <laughs> I'm 28. Yeah, you're 28. I'll be 29 in September, yeah. That's crazy to think about because I'm... Fuck, I don't... I hate saying my age. I'm 36, (laughs) but you act like 10 years more mature than me on a regular basis. People told me that. Not about you, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, so I got sober, like, a couple... Like, a couple weeks before my 24th birthday. Um, I'm a, a state certified drug and alcohol counselor... Uh, on the road to getting my BA in psychology. Um, I have worked in the field for over three years in residential treatment, sober living. Um, I, yeah, do community radio, have the counseling stuff, that's my job. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I wasn't doing that five years ago, though. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's get into... Um what your childhood was like, and what... Damn, you go way back. Let's go. Yeah. For everybody who wants to find out more details, go to yourlifeinamerica.com. There's tons of stuff on there that I've written about my life. Um, yeah, you're really, your writing is really fucking amazing. Yeah, thank you. Anybody who knows what the hero's journey is, um, Joseph Campbell, you know, Carl Jung was, was an advocate for the hero's journey, being a part of the human psyche, that every human being goes through the hero's journey, and I was fascinated when I learned that in school so I wrote my own version of the hero's journey from like a narrative perspective from your experience that's my favorite thing I've ever written it's on there yeah um I I had a pretty like uh my dad was a pretty angry guy he still is uh he yeah he was I was always scared of him my whole life I never saw my parents together I never knew I never knew my parents together by the time I can I could start by the time I can remember things, they were already divorced. I had, you know, a stepdad and a stepmom. They both had, you know, kids of their own. Me and my mom moved around a lot when I was younger. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing, you know. I, I kind of became, you know, in the family system. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. I kind of became the lost child, you know. Yeah. And, uh. And it wasn't like I was never, like, abused, really. You know, my dad was a pretty crazy dude, and and shit got pretty wild at his house a lot. But, like, um, I kind of just fell, like, off to the wayside a little bit. I got really good grades in school um, because school was a place that was safe for me. And um, my parents just, I don't think, ever really, like, noticed me, you know, because I got good grades. I was a freaking amazing baseball player. I had God-given baseball talent somehow. 
there's also a whole blog about that on my site. Nice. Um, and so I, uh, I kind of just like did my thing, dude, you know? And I was like eight years old and I was, and I was right in the middle of a custody battle between my parents, both of them telling me how much they hated each other. My dad in a more extreme and, and aggressive and, and crazy way, you know? Uh, that definitely must have had an effect on you. I kind of, yeah, looking back at all the, you know, I'm also in therapy once a week. I've been doing that for three years. So, yeah. you know, I, I take, I've learned a lot about how that stuff did affect me. Yeah, I did. I was scared. I was really scared of my dad, man. Uh, and, and now we're cool. I love him to death, you know, like I'm not, nothing, nothing against him, no resentment, but so, um, I was right in the middle of that custody battle between them and I just felt like so, I don't know, man, it was just really, it was just really weird looking back on it, you know, and, and I just kind of like, I just kind of like realized that if I performed well, my teachers praised me, my coaches praised me. My friends, uh, you know, my friends were always important to me because we had a lot of fun together playing baseball and skateboarding and, and just doing, you know, I played football and I excelled in all those things. And like, so all this stuff, you know, my parents had their own stuff going on. And so I just found these, I just found this other world that like, like, dude, it was like, so that affected me so much that when I learned about ancient civilizations and social studies in sixth and seventh grade, I was absolutely taken away by that. Mm -hmm. I remember reading my seventh grade social studies textbook, learning about like the Ming dynasty and shit and being like, just taken away by that, you know? And, um, uh, I moved to, uh, I moved a lot. I landed in Orange County in third grade and, uh, I think when I was like that young, I fell in love with California. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love California with all my heart. I think it's the greatest place in the entire world. And I've never left America, so I'm sure when I go to other places, I'll change my mind. But um, there's something special about California, I think. Um, and uh, I moved to Corona, which is in Riverside County, in uh, eighth grade. So, you know, and I had a, the average Southern California childhood. I skateboarded. I went to the beach all the time. I went to Dodger games, you know, I went to Angel games, I went to Ducks and Kings games, like, love sports, and when I was, uh, so I, then I got really into skateboarding, dude, in, like, the early 2000s, and I was, like, I don't know if you know anything about, like, skateboarding in the early 2000s, but, like, the Baker team. I know Baker. Like, Ali Bulala and Jim Greco and Dustin Dolan and all these guys had this crew called the Piss Drunks, and they just got fucked up and did drugs and skated and yeah. made these, all these cool skate videos, and they dressed cool and wore tight pants and sunglasses and had long hair, and, like, I just thought those dudes were, like, the coolest people in the entire world, and... So I kind of started idolizing, you know, that because I didn't, nobody at my house was like giving me an example. It was kind of just like, there were no, like I was always taken care of, but there was no like good jobs or, or like there was, I mean, maybe there was, but it was very much just like ex, an external environment, you know? And, um, yeah, so skateboarding was first and then I got really into punk rock music. Like the, I went to the first I saw the Bouncing Souls at no House, shit. Yeah, House of Blues Anaheim when I was like 12. 
And that was the first time at a live show that I was like, this shit is cool. And people were, like, really stoked on it. My uncle took me, who he ended up overdosing and dying, but he took me to that show. And uh, he was a positive person in my life that recognized me and, and saw what I was doing. And so... I, and then I and I was just like punk rock is cool and then I went to like a real punk show at the Showcase Theater best venue in the world which is in Corona California in Riverside County the Showcase Theater first show I went to there I was a freshman in high school this is all before I ever drank or, or anything really yeah I was a freshman Were you straight edge no I wasn't okay I, yeah funny thing about straight edge though um and, like, up until then, like, I had listened to, like, Eminem, you know, and, like... Yeah. And I got really into, like, the No Effects, Pennywise, like, Bad Religion, like, Gutter ways. Mouth, yeah. Lagwagon type stuff, which is all great. I still love it, you know? Um, grew up on Eminem, for sure, like... Propagandi. Yeah. Propagandi, yeah. So I went to this show my freshman year of high school, right, right, like, when Fred, I was, like, 14, just turned 14, it was the Dickies... A global threat, career soldiers, and the unseen at the showcase theater, which was like eight hundred capacity max, and yeah. like it, and they probably sold like fourteen hundred tickets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for like a their max. They did that all the time. Oversold their tickets. Yeah, and so that show was absolutely insane, dude. And like I was, you know, I I had a lot of bent up anger probably, and like I just didn't like I don't know I just I like skateboarding I like being like away from home and I just like going fast and I liked you know I liked that whole it, that all appealed to me so you put me in a fucking tiny ass venue and like a global threat show where people are like front flipping off the balcony and circle pitting and everyone's drunk and there's just like and singing along like that was like I remember that that was like I knew after that show that this is something I wanted to be a part of and, um, yeah, I just got really into punk music and, and, um, and like my friend who actually is also dead from a heroin overdose was at my house one weekend and he was just like, he had told me he had been drinking because, you know, he lived in Huntington Beach. He's like, do you have any alcohol? And I was like, yeah, I think my mom has some vodka downstairs. And that's all it was, dude. It was just like, yeah, let's try. I'll just try to get drunk, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some like deeper psychological shit behind that, but that was just, you know, how I remember it. And drank this vanilla Smirnoff vodka Oof. with my friend. Yeah, I, like chased it with Dr Pepper, and like I got drunk as I got drunk, dude. And I ate like all these Doritos. It was like watching Family Guy, and I just remember laughing and like I was like, this is cool, you know. And then like a couple days later, I smoked weed for the first time out of this little bong and, and my friend he's like don't blow out after you hit it <laughs> and I didn't know what to do so I like accidentally blew down and, and the, the downstairs just is all over his mom's carpet yeah. and like but I got pretty baked that time and and so and I loved weed dude like Me too. I think the the I, so I was like 14 when I first smoked weed and um and I, don't, I think I was high pretty much until I got sober after that. Like, I just yeah. loved weed, dude. Like, I loved it. So my goal became try and buy weed every day and, like, get high, drink on the weekends, go to shows. I lived right next to the Showcase Theater, which was, like, the Exploited, UK Subs, GBH, Vice Squad, The Voids, Naked Aggression, The Addicts, like, every two months. Um... 
dude, the subhumans, like, I saw so many amazing shows there, dude. Verbal abuse, like, just ill repute. Like, I could go on forever about yeah. all the shows I saw there. And then I got into hardcore uh, when I was, like, 16. I saw this band called Ceremony at the Showcase Theater. They're, like, they sound like Joy Division now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But they were hardcore, you know, they're a hardcore band. Yeah. They had this album out, Violence, Violence, and it was, like, one of the hardest things I had ever heard. You know, it was, like, heavy and fast and just, like... And I went and saw them at the Showcase Theater, and hardcore is a whole nother is a whole nother realm than like punk rock shows, oh yeah you know the etiquette in the pits is entirely different especially now yeah it's totally it's different you know and so and i was all about it dude i was like but i had never you know the shows i had been going to were like you know liberty spikes and and mohawks and and studded vests this and, is shaved heads and yeah and bullet belts and like yeah. you know 40s and shit and like so this one was <laughs> This was a little different, you know, but it was tight. Like the energy was was off the hook. This band called Trash Talk, who's also really big now, their singer was there and he like was in like he just like jumped and climbed up to the back behind the drums and just like jumped off into the crowd and just like, it was insane, dude. Like so I got really into hardcore after that, which with that came like straight edge hardcore, you know. And, like, all these bands I got into, like, Champion and Have Heart and um, Verse and The First Step and Carry On, who's from Atascadero, they're all straight edge, but, like, I wasn't straight edge. I was actually going further off the other way. That's funny. I started, I think sophomore high school I was straight edge because my punk rock friends were, like, being like, yes, straight edge, fuck doing drugs. And I, was, I didn't know any better, so I was like, yeah. And then over the course of two weeks, going to shows and finding different friends, I was ended up, like, almost overnight, I'm doing whippets with the original lead singer of Link 80 in the back right. of the venue, you know. Yeah. And I was just like, what's straight edge, you know, after yeah. that? But it's funny how skateboard culture and, punk, you know, having, like, the punk, like, mythos is like, yeah, we do drugs like, for the majority of whatever's available. You know? Yeah, it is. And and so, the crazy thing about... It's it's the straight edge is what is what it... You know, my understanding of how it was created. And it came from the Minor Threat song. Yeah. It came from the song Straight Edge by Minor Threat. It, yeah. it didn't... You know, it wasn't like, we're going to start this movement and people are going to, like... We're going to be intolerant of other people who drink. And, like, that's not what it was. It was just, like, this song that Minor Threat made called... Straight edge. Which pretty much started a whole movement. Yeah, but, but that know. wasn't, I don't think was their intent, but he was no. just like, hey, like, I am conscious of what I put in my body, of what I eat, you know? Most straight edge people are vegan, too. Mm -hmm. And Some like, are, like, celibate, too. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I don't do drugs, smoke, or drink, and I don't, and I don't have promiscuous sex with women, because, like, it's like, it was like going against the grain of, against the grain, you know? Because, yeah. <laughs> like, Punk was so, you know... But from that, it's evolved into a much more militant kind of Oh, and I mean, there's... I know, dude, I know a lot of straight-edge people that are that are really cool, and they're yeah. really about just, like, the community and clean living and, like, the positive mental attitude thing and just about the culture of the music and all that and, like... But, yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of straight-edge that's, like... But, anyways, I don't want to talk about straight-edge. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, one Step Closer... From Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, is the and Magnitude from North Carolina are the two best straight edge bands in hardcore right now. Is uh, Good Riddance were they straight edge? 
I'm not sure. I never really got into Good Riddance. But Regulate, Magnitude, One Step Closer are the best straight-edge bands in hardcore right now. And they're going to blow up. They already kind of have. But oh, nice. Anyways, um, so, dude, like, my life at home was okay. Like, I was always taken care of. I kind of just was, like, always doing my own thing. Uh, we got drunk on the... You know, by that time, when all that was happening with the music, I was drunk every single weekend and taking ecstasy. You know, the ecstasy was like a... When I was in high school, nobody was really, like, drinking cough syrup and, like... Or drinking codeine syrup and, like, hitting wax pens and, like... <laughs> that shit wasn't happening yet. So it was like, Whoa. we did coke on the weekends. We took a bunch of ecstasy on the weekends. Um, we took acid on the weekends. Um... And we smoked weed and drank all the time. Yeah. That was, you know, that's that was what my, it was. That was my go-to also. I somehow managed to play high school baseball through all that. Um, I, I graduated high school with a 3.6 GPA because wow. I, I love school. I yeah. don't know why. I still do. I got, you know, ended up getting kicked off the high school baseball team because of my reputation and my lack of motivation to work hard. But I just had that good talent. So, you know, but... Um, I mean, dude, by my senior year in high school, my number one priority in life was to get as high as possible every single day. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. I would wake and bake in the morning, drink at lunch, or do blow at school, you know? Yeah. Or I started, and I started smoking oxies, you know? Railing oxies in the back of the classroom, just like popping bars and blacking out at school, <laughs> you know, just like whatever, 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 whatever I could do, dude. Yeah. Like just, you know, popping Vicodin. I love, I loved pills. Yeah. Um, and just getting, just getting as loaded as possible every single day. And, and go ahead. Sorry. After, but at what point, like after high school, did you stay in the area or what? Because I know there's a point in your yeah, story so, where you <laughs> took a big... And I don't really want to go into details of all, like, my high school stuff. I mean, it was... That's what it was, you know? Well, most high schoolers I went to shows, like I skated, I played high school baseball, I got good grades, I had a ton of friends, I did a ton of drugs, I drank a shit ton of alcohol, and I smoked a bunch of weed. Yeah. That's what happened, <laughs> you know? I feel like those high school days were much more innocent, though. Oh, you know, for sure you know what I was doing. So much, like, I mean, for the most part, you, you get away with doing all that. And yeah. still ha are able to bounce back. It's just like the big book says in, in Bill's story about forging the boomerang that would later turn around and cut my life to ribbons. Yeah. It's, oh. exact, it's exactly yeah. what it is. You yeah. Know? So I graduated high school. And dude, I mean, that's what it was. I, I got some money from my from my mom's family for graduating high school. I spent on a quarter pound of weed. <laughs> nice. This was when, so you know the weed business. This was like 2009. So a quarter pound of like... A quarter so pound of, then. like, what was the first one I bought? It was, like, strawberry haze or something. I think oh, I paid, nice. like, 1200 bucks for it. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. And so, and, dude, like, I made a gang of money selling weed. Mm -hmm. I would sell 10s, 20s, you know, 8s, half ounces, whatever. And I just started doing this, this little weed hustle, and I was spending all the money on Oxycontin. Really? Shout out Oxy 80s, dude, because that was the, like... <laughs> the OG 80s. Yeah. Oh, the, the teal ones that you either peel with your fingers or lick and wipe off with your shirt. The coating, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I was, I was... I'll never forget the first time I fucking felt the drip of snorting in Oxy. I was... Yeah, I was drunk the first time I did oh. and that. And that's what I did. And I, and I snorted one and I was drunk and I felt it. And it was like this... I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So... 
the months following high school was, yeah, selling weed and doing a sh bunch of drugs. I got really into meth, too, at that time. I had done meth sometimes in high school, um, but I got really into meth, too, smoking meth and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff, dude. We were, you know, I, I went to county jail for the first time, you know, after, not too long after I turned 18 and for, like, graffiti I was nice. like, I wasn't doing it, but my homie, who's, yeah. damn, my homie who's also dead, committed Fuck. suicide. He used to, he used to write Rambo. And that I was like, his name? Yeah. Nice. So, uh, I used to roll around with him, but yeah, so, and I, and I was strung out the first time I went to county jail and I kicked and it scared the shit out of me. Off oxys. Yeah, and I, and I had started doing some heroin too. Smoking it? Yeah, smoking heroin. It scared the shit out of me, but I was loaded within, like, 36 hours of being out of jail. So, yeah, dude. I mean, I'd say the, the real, like, the real turning point of, of all of that, because it was all still okay at that time, right? Like, I was, I was still living at my mom's house. I was good at kind of just, like, hiding it, you know, you know, staying at my friend's house for days on end, and it was all, it was all still, it was still fun. Dude, I had so much fun. <laughs> I had so much fun, dude. Before it wasn't fun, it was fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? We were selling a bunch of weed. We were just doing, you know, it was, it was fun, dude. Like, it was, it was fun. And, uh, my mom, I was all, I was all loaded on, and then, like, as soon as the 80s ran out, I did heroin immediately. Like, I wasn't even tripping on it. It was like, I'm dope sick, there's no 80s here's 20 bucks, go buy me whatever, I just don't want to feel this way anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started smoking heroin, started shooting heroin shortly after that, because it was just like, you know. You're wasting it when you're smoking it. Yeah, so my mom came home one day, and I was in a full, like, as a junkie, only a, only a junkie would understand this, <laughs> I was in a full chin-to-chest nod, dude. Like, <laughs> full-on, just like, cigarette in the basketball shorts, like, Burning you know, your just couch. like, any good junkie's got a pair of basketball shorts or sweats holes with holes in burned them. in them. Yeah, I still do. I was in the backyard and my mom saw me, dude. And uh, my mom had experience with drugs and alcohol and, and so did her entire family. And my grandma died of an overdose. Uh, my mom's mom, her younger brother. Um, I mean, it's it's there. It's all there, you know. So she knew what was going on and um, told me I couldn't live there, basically. It was just all, it was just all bad, dude. So I jammed. Tried to live with my dad, that didn't really work, because I was just a nightmare, you know. And so I just decided that I was going to try and stay at friends' houses and just... I mean, dude, the priority was, like, just heroin. Keep the keep the run going. Couch crash. Exactly. Yeah. But heroin, dude, that's what it was. My life became... My life went from, like, good student, baseball player, smart, potentially can do something, to just, like, heroin. That's all full, it was. Full time, That's yeah. all I cared about, dude. I didn't care about anything else anymore. I didn't care about my family. Or other drugs, even. I mean, I did other drugs. But... I fell in love priority. with heroin, dude. Yeah, so did I, I was just like, this is what I, this is what I want to do. And, uh... That quickly put me on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you know... I, I had a girlfriend at the time who I used with. Uh, couldn't stay at her house anymore because I stole all her mom's shit. Oh, shit. And, and all, you know, I just was a nightmare. You know yeah. how that is. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed around her family or any home. And so uh, I just started living on the streets, dude. 
<laughs> How long were you in California before you left, for, like California? Because didn't you take off for? I did take off. So I was. So I left, uh, and I can't get into too many details about the um, Alaska thing because. Oh, I yeah, wanted I to can, hear that. I can, but like I got to be careful about it. So <laughs> I left. So um, when did I leave for? So I, I, the summer of two thousand and twelve. Okay. I went, the spring of 2012, I was, dude, so strung out. I was living in uh, my girlfriend's car in the parking lot of Walmart. And Holy shit. we would, yeah, we would drive and, 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 you know, I was stealing Wii remotes and returning them, <laughs> and returning them to GameStop. I was, you know, stealing checks from, from cars. And I was just doing, I was doing all kinds of dumb stuff, dude. Yeah. Um, and, and I was so strung out, dude. And, uh. I con I got in contact with my grandpa who lived in Alaska, and I was like, I'm just gonna go to Alaska and get sober because I don't want to live out here like this anymore, you know? Yeah. So that was like 2012, and uh, I was already feeling that like I already knew that I had a problem, and I knew that it had destroyed my life, and I knew that. Um, You're waking up sick every day. I mean. Oh, dude, it was all bad. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I knew. And so I was like, but I, I didn't know anything about AA or treatment or anything like that. I had separated from my family. You know, they tried, but I just wasn't, I'd rather be out doing my thing and have no one bother me. Yeah. Um, and so I left for Alaska, brought some Suboxone with me. Nice. Yeah. Kicked up there. It was all right. You know, I had the subs, found some people that, that could give me some weed. They got bomb weed in Alaska, dude. They actually And it's pretty do. much the same price, you know? Yeah. It was bombing. And so... And so what happened in Alaska was, like, I got off the heroin, I started smoking weed every day, and drinking every day. Literally, like, every single day. I was there from, like, April or May until, like, the end of August. And I worked at a jewelry store, um, did some work on a uh, fishing boat, and but I drank and, and um, smoked weed every single day. To me, I was, I was so far out of touch with what recovery was... Or sobriety, I thought I was sober. Yeah, I was dude, gonna I say that's sober to you. I legitimately believed that I was sober. I drank whiskey and vodka every single day I was there, and I probably smoked two to three grams of weed every single day I was nice. there. And then there's no drugs in Alaska, dude. And when they do hit, it's a hundred and fifty dollars for a point of, of speed. That's not even speed. It's like it's insane, dude. So I'll tell you what I did the next summer, but this is, <laughs> so, you know, I came back to, so in like, I, that's the only time in my life I ever felt shaky when I didn't drink, which is crazy. Yeah. I came back to, I came back to California thinking that I had got my life together and I was shooting heroin within 30 minutes of being off the plane. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. So like, that's how, you know, I had no idea like what, I had no idea what I was, what I was getting into or what I was doing. You know, I just was like. Okay. And, um, I was homeless within, I, I tried to live, I came out here to Goleta cause I had a friend that was living out here. I almost burned his house down cause I black in a drunk blackout threw a package of bacon on the stove and fell asleep. <laughs> the fire department came. It was all bad. They, fire. Yeah. They kicked me out of the, they oh. kicked me out of there. Rightly so. You know, Yeah. my girlfriend at the time was living in Long Beach with her mom. So I, I wasn't allowed around their family. So I just went down to Long Beach to be near her and um I was homeless down there dude I took the that was a crazy time in my life I took the metros all over Long Beach and LA 
I, got, I started smoking crack. That's the first time I started smoking crack. You were in Skid Row post-2012? Um, I don't think I ventured into Skid Row until the second time I came back from Alaska. Okay. So I kind of just, like, you know, my girlfriend, you know, at the time, uh, she was getting a lot of money and stuff from her mom, so we kind of just... Because I was running amok in L.A. around that time, too, so... It's we could have crossed paths, yeah. dude. I mean, we could have. Uh, so, my girlfriend's mom was married to this millionaire. Not married, with this millionaire. He bought her a house on Naples Island in Long Beach, oh, Belmont Shores. Million dollar house, dude. Yeah. They had a shed in the back. You live in it. I lived in that <laughs> fucking shed, dude, for like three months. And her mom had no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, it was so gnarly. Like, I would get so loaded in that shed, dude, and like light candles because there was no light. Mm-hmm. Dude, I would sleep in there for like 16 hours at a time. I, and it was just insane, dude. And I would get up and I'd be like all discombobulated and like, it was so crazy, dude. And then her mom would like go out of town and it was, and so I'd, I'd shout. It was just insane, dude. I would sleep in like laundry mats down there that were 24 oh hours. God. Like, um,. I would venture into downtown Long Beach, like, it was insane, dude. I I walked to the bridge that goes from 2nd Street to PCH, and I almost jumped off of it because I was just, like, so fed up with my life. Yeah. And and for some reason, I didn't. Um, I think because my connect was, like, maybe coming to drop off the sack, <laughs> so I was like, eh, you know. I did some crazy, st- I mean, dude, I, I would steal books from Barnes & Noble and read them. I read Scar Tissue. I read My Infamous Life about Prodigy from Mob Deep. Um, I gotta read that. Yeah, it was it was crazy, dude. Like it was just such a wild time. So I got in touch with my grandparents again and went back to Alaska. This time I had like three grams of heroin up my ass. <laughs> you know, because I'm like these fucking people are spending a hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, you're gonna come up. You're gonna triple. Yeah, up. so I got up there and like. My homie who lived in Goleta, Rambo, had committed suicide a couple months before that. So I was just in a really bad place, dude. And uh, I went back up there to try and to try and get my shit together again. And I got up there and uh, had the I brought the heroin with me up my ass in the airport. <laughs> I barely sold any of it, dude. You just did it. I just did all of it, pretty much. Because, like, people would get Klonopin and stuff up there because they had prescriptions. So I just got super loaded for, you know, a few a while and um, didn't sell that much of it. Dude, I just, like, absolutely destroyed that town the second time I went up there. While I was up there, my homie that I got drunk with for the first time ever overdosed and died in his house in Huntington Beach. Oh, fuck. I flew back to California for, like, a day to go to his funeral. Yeah. Got a bunch of dope. Back up, <laughs> back, back up, up yes. yep, and back up to Alaska. Did all of it pretty much. Yeah. Got beat up by a Native American dude for messing around with his girlfriend, who <sighs> I didn't know. She didn't tell me. He yeah. was out fishing or something or whatever. And came back, and it was just all bad, dude. It was all bad. And then I can't. Some crazy stuff happened up there, and I thought I was gonna go to prison for the rest of my life. And I Which caused you to leave. I jammed. Yeah, you jammed. I out. jammed. And I ended up in... C- yeah, I jammed. Yeah, crazy. I can't... I just can't... I can't go into it, man, because I don't know, you know? So, um, just some crazy shit happened up there, and I had to jam. And uh, so I got to... So I... Okay, so 
this was how I lived my life. I was like, I had enough money to get to Seattle on a plane. I didn't have enough money to get to LA on a plane. Because I was working up there, you know, so like I had money. Um, Alaska State Troopers came and raided my house, like some TV show shit, Alaska State Troopers, dude. I was all sub suboxing out, <laughs> like 2 a.m. in my boxers. They stormed in on they, you? Dude, they pounded on the door, and I thought it was my homie that I lived with, so I opened the door, boom, Alaska State Troopers, the town's police department, yeah. dude, dogs, guns, like, they grabbed me and, like, cuffed me, put me in the on the floor in the hallway, grabbed my homie. Because it was me, him, and his brother. And I thought it was his brother, dude. His, my other friend. So we're both in, our, in cuffs in the hallway. And they absolutely destroyed the apartment. They took, all my, they took all my friend's money. They took all my money. They took my cell phone, which was all bad. Because I had a gang of shit yeah. on there. They took my homie's laptop and his cell phone. And all of his brother's money. Dude, it was insane. But that's all they found? But they couldn't find anything to arrest me for. For some luck of the universe, nothing was in that apartment that night. Jesus. Some kid got pulled over and told the cops I was selling drugs and, and where I lived and all this shit. That's how it happened. So that was like the red flag. Well, I was like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. And that wasn't even the crazy stuff that happened. There was yeah. like some other things that happened. So anyways, so I jammed and um, I didn't have enough money to get to LA on a plane, but I had enough money because I, I hit up the people I was working for and was like, look. I need everything. I need everything. Yeah, everything. Or as much as you can give me. Yeah. They gave me like 800 bucks. I, I had enough to buy like a $720 plane ticket to Seattle. So my thinking is like, I will just, I'll just uh, get to Seattle with like 50 bucks or with 60 bucks or whatever and figure it out from there. That's fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> like a normal person hears that I've and they're like... So you just flew to Seattle and just... Not knowing Like, anywhere. you had, like, 60 bucks. Like, you would just figure it out when you got there. And I was like, yeah. So I got to Seattle. Scared shitless, dude. Thinking that the cops were going to be waiting for me at the airport. on In both towns. Mm -hmm. So I got, got there and I got on the light rail. I was like, okay, I'm good. But I had no phone. I had oh, a little fuck. bit... Yeah, they took... Cops took my phone. I had a little bit of money. Um, my plan was, like, get to the Greyhound station... Buy a Greyhound ticket to LA and get back to, back back home. Yeah, I was in Seattle for like, thirty eight days. <laughs> you didn't buy a Greyhound ticket. No, dude. You got loaded, dude. And so I won't go into all that because if you go to my blog, there's a I read that. Yeah, there's a story good. called Emerald City, and it's all about my experience in Seattle. Yeah, it was insane, dude. I smoked crack at Space ne under the Space Needle with transvestites. <laughs> Dude, I found five grams of heroin on the ground on Capitol on Capitol Hill. Jesus. Bomb heroin too, dude. I dude, it I've was insane. Never been that lucky. It was insane. I it was insane. I slept underneath the five freeway in South Downtown Seattle and walked past the Mariners Stadium and the Seahawks Stadium every single day to get downtown. Met some people. Uh, I, I did. You know, it's all there, dude. It's all on the blog if you want to read it. Finally got back to California. Uh, How did you get to California? I finally ended up getting a hold of my mom, who said, "Hey, money? no, she said, hey, the people you worked for sent us a check. The rest of the money they owed you." Oh shit! I completely lost track of time when I was there. Yeah. Not realizing like a whole month had gone by. Well, when you're that high, time flies. Dude, it was insane. They got good heroin in Seattle. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, yeah, so I ended up back in. Uh, 
LA. My mom uh, bought me a Greyhound ticket, and like I was like, I'll just pay you with the check when I get there. Fine, whatever. Yeah. Of course, back to my girlfriend, the same girl that I used with, you know, for years. We were together for a long time. Um, she, you know, she picked me up, and I just continued doing what I was doing. When I got the check from my mom, uh, so now this is like fall 2013. When I got the check from my mom, my girlfriend was still living in Long Beach, but in downtown Long Beach now. Yeah. I slept in the parking garage of that apartment building for months, uh, and that's when I went to Skid Row. That's when I... You were living there, or just... No, I would go down there, so I just, I just would get money, right, from... I, this isn't even when, like, the hygiene hustle had even came about yet. (laughs) Like, this was still, like, my girl would get money from her mom, um, we would, you know, that's how we'd buy dope, whatever, I... When I was breaking the cars when I could. Or, it's or, really easy to get dope in Skid Row. Dude, like it's yeah, uh, yeah. So I was I would take the train from like Long Beach to L. A. to Riverside just to pick up and go back. Yep. And then like I I met this dude. Dude, I got some crazy Long Beach stories, but I met yeah. So this dude basically was like, just go to Skid Row. So I started doing that. Like I think it was like Sixth and Alvarado is like where I would go. Um, and I would go pretty close to the Staples Center, too, I remember, like, off Pico and stuff. Oh, Pico, yeah. Yeah, and, um... There'd usually be one tent where you get the dope, one tent you could get fresh rigs. Yeah, you know. yeah, I always, yeah, I always had rigs and stuff, but, yeah, dude, that was a crazy time, and, uh, so that was fall 2013. Uh, I tried to kill myself. What? I didn't know yeah, this. Yeah, dude, I tried to kill myself, uh... Like and, an overdose, or...? Uh, no, I tried to drink, like, a bunch of, uh, like... It wasn't, like, paint thinner, but it was, like, some cleaning stuff. Jesus. And then, um, I tried to cut my wrist. Oh. It was just, like, it didn't... I don't know, dude. It, it like, I kind of didn't go all the way through with it. Like, I kind of stopped drinking the stuff, and, like, I didn't really... But I wanted to die, dude. Like, my life was such an absolute nightmare that, like, I, I tried to kill myself. And my homie had a gun, I remember, uh, that I that I went in to grab to shoot myself one time. This this was, like, a really bad time, dude. Because yeah. um, I had no hustle. I was running out of hustle, dude. And if you are a junkie with you no hustle, you're, you're miserable. you might as well kill yourself or get sober. You know yeah. what I mean? Because, like... It's the worst. So my I was running out of hustle, dude. And, and so there was no bullets in that gun. Thank God. You cocked it and literally... No, I, di- I didn't do that, but I think I looked at the clip, you know? Uh-huh. And then I was like, okay. And, like, I just... And I was like, whatever... And so, yeah, like, at that time, I got my girlfriend pregnant with what would be my son. Yeah, dude, so, you know, and I was in and out of county jail constantly. Of course. Constantly, 30 days, you know, 90 days, whatever. Like, and, um, so, what happened? Yeah, so, I, I went to jail, I got out, she was pregnant, still with the baby, she was strung out. And, like, Fuck. again, dude, no sense of right and wrong, no morals, no moral compass, no ability to see any kind of truth about what I was doing. So I started shooting dope with her, mm-hmm. right? I literally, like, shot her up while she was pregnant. Fuck. I know, dude. I hate saying that. It's gnarly. But, I mean, yeah. if we're getting into this shit, like, this is no, the I've reality done, of how we live, dude. I've done you know? dark shit like that, yeah. And, um... Not, like, shooting And, up. like, I would disappear for weeks and cut... You know, you know how it is. I didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And, um... 
I, I had been up for like four days, I think, the day my son was born. Uh, I came back to the house finally, and my, my she was pale on the ground. Looked like she was like overdosing. Yeah. She was going into labor. Holy shit. I contemplated leaving her there, is how, I mean, yeah, dude. Because you thought she was dead. I didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> I mean, that's fucked up to say, dude, but that's the truth, <laughs> that's man. That's what happens. Like, if people really want to know how sick this thing is, dude, yeah. that's the power of what it does to the mind, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but, so I called 911, and then I jammed. <laughs> <laughs> and they came and picked her up, and I got, like, the keys to her mom's car or something. A lot of these stories and stuff might, I mean, I think I got the keys to her mom's car, which was there. And drove, and I remember driving down PCH, and I was listening to K Rock, and Sublime came on, and oh, I was shit. chain smoking Camel Wise, yeah. driving down PCH. It was Mother's Day. Holy shit! It was Mother's Day, May eleventh. She went to labor on Mother's yeah, Day. Yeah, dude. My son was born in the ambulance. Of yeah. course, I wasn't in the ambulance. I got there. I I was all out of my mind too. I went up to. I walked in the, that hospital room, and he was in there. And I saw him and I started crying, dude, because I was like, oh, like, this is crazy, you know? Yeah, dude, it was gnarly. Like, I brought a gang of dope into that hospital. I stole a bunch of stuff from my, from her family's purses, $500 Sears gift card, money, took all that stuff out, bought a bunch of heroin and brought it back to that hospital. She was shooting dope in the hospital room. I was in the hospital bathroom getting loaded. Yeah. My mom found out I had a baby through a Facebook post. Like, it wasn't... It, yeah. I mean, like, that's how my life was, dude. Yeah. And uh, CPS came. I tried to tell the CPS worker that I had never done drugs in my life. I told her I had never even smoked a cigarette. Honest to God truth, dude. <laughs> and she basically, like, got up and walked away, and, like, that was that. They yeah. took my son. I was so ashamed after that that I really didn't want to be around anybody anymore, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be around anybody, I just wanted to, uh, disappear into the streets of California forever and never be seen again, fuck, and just me and heroin, that's all I wanted, yeah, and, and like, I just, that's all I wanted to do, so that's what I did, you know, and I had, so, I, I was done with the girl, like, I didn't even, it was just like, you know how those relationships are, yeah. All centered around heroin, dude. It yeah, was, <laughs> they go bad real fast. It was so bad. They so I went. So I basically like jammed on her, and I had ran the streets in Riverside and Corona, and like I knew people down there, and you know I had been, I had slept, you know I had been homeless out there for a little while, and like I I kind of knew like, I kind of knew, I knew I knew where to go and I knew what to do, and like and I just I had a homie that said I could crash at his pad, so I went there. After my son was born, and I just jammed, dude. Like, literally, that's what I wanted to do, so. And that was, like, May of 2014. And, um, so I guess the hygiene hustle didn't go on for as long as I thought. I had kind of done other hustles, like receipts. Yep. Uh, I'd done receipts. Home Depot. Returns, Home Depot, like, all kinds of stuff like that. But this hygiene hustle that I created was, like, the, it was the lick, dude, I'm what telling you. What is the hygiene hustle? Okay, so I get back to, I get back to Riverside, right? Yeah. My homie's just, like, so loaded all the time and nodded out that I just, like, he's, like, one of those people that would be, like, I'll get you well, dog, I'll get you well. And then he would get all loaded and just nod out. And then you're sitting there sick. Dude, like, 
the exactly, fuck? yep. Yeah. It's so that and I was like, fuck this, you know? Yeah. So I jammed and uh I went to my other homie's house who lived like in downtown Corona and uh I tried to stop by my mom's house, told her, you know, if she didn't let me take a shower I was gonna kill myself. She basically <laughs> told me, Go ahead, like your son's here. She had adopted my son. Yeah. Um she was like Go ahead, just get the fuck off my property, basically. Yeah. That's what it was, Holy you know? shit. And, uh, so, I went down, and, and so then I started kicking it, like, in, like, the really shitty part of Corona, which is, like, Corona to Riverside is, like, Galita to Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's when things got, like, my, all my morals really went out the window, dude. Like, I, I just, I did whatever, you know, like... And I, but I met this dude that was like, you can sell laundry detergent to these paisas and they'll buy it. And I was like, bullshit, dude. And, and so he actually like put me on game to the hustle and I went with him one time and he stole a, like a basket, right? Mm -hmm. Like a grocery store basket of like three Tide Pods, like 72 each, right? I still remember the numbers of each. They got like 90, 72, like, and, uh, we went and we went down to this little apartment complex and this was like all like gang, like Mexican cultured neighborhoods. Like, you know, you know, I mean, um, and so, and, and we went to this apartment door and this lady was like excited to see us, dude. And she just busted out 30 bucks, boom, and gave it to us. And that was it. And she, and then she asked for some other stuff, bar soap, shampoo and conditioner, razors. And like, I was good at stealing stuff from stores. Right. So I'm like, okay. Even if you're dope sick. Oh yeah. I mean, maybe not so much when I would get tweaked out, I'd be too paranoid. Yeah. But give me like two Zanny bars and like a 20 oh, of yeah. black. Pff, I'll go on like a six hour shopping spree and not get caught, dude. Oh, that's funny. Um, and so I went out and stole all these things this lady wanted and brought them back to her. And it was so easy for me, you know, dude, I would walk out of a store with like three head and shoulders pump shampoos in your, in my waistband, like either deodorants or sock or uh, toothbrushes in my socks, um, like body washes in my back two pockets, like the old spice swaggers. Um, (laughs) and then like, you know, or deodorants in my front pockets or whatever, or I'd roll my backpack up and shove it in my waistband and walk in and then take it out and load it full and like walk out. Dude, I got my ass beat by security guard employee and employees at this supermarket. Like I had so many crazy experiences when this all started. And, um, cause I just didn't care, dude. I would walk into a store, blatantly grab a cart, go to the hygiene aisle and put 20 detergents in there and just walk out with the cart. Yeah. And like, it's like, if you catch me, I'm going to jail, which I've been to and I'm not, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or if I get away, I'm going to get a bunch of heroin and maybe (laughs) even a hotel room. Right. Yeah. And so I just started this whole, like, it was basically like a market dude, because like I started taking all of these hygiene products to these little apartment complexes. You know, I had a bunch of ladies and families that would buy shit from me from sixth street in Corona is like a, it's probably like six miles long and it's just riddled with like drugs and you know, bullshit and Mexican culture, you know, areas and parks and apartment complexes. It's your average Southern California Mexican culture city, you know? 
And so I just started like, and then like getting rides to different cities. To, and I just was boosting so much hygiene, dude. Razors, lotion, deodorant, toothbrushes, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, Tide Pods, Liquid Tide, Downy Unstoppable Beads, <laughs> like hit Costco and Sam's Club and get the big, like, the big sizes of everything. Like, yeah. it was insane, dude. Like, and, like, I was legitimately okay with that. Like, because I was good at it, you know? And, like, so I, so then I created this whole, like, and then I had a couple homies that I, that I had met, you know, through being on the streets down there that were good at it, too. And so we would just... They were homeless too, but they like had hustle. They weren't like chopping car drunk, like yeah. that bums. Like we all like were just like junkies who needed to stay loaded and we had a hustle, you know? And so we just created this like market of stolen hygiene products. And you got a big demand for it. So, oh my God, dude, yeah. I couldn't, I could not bring those people enough stuff. And then I started getting tight with the ladies and so I started bringing them other stuff that I would find in cars and stuff, you know? Mm. I would steal anything that wasn't bolted down, dude. The fact that I have not stolen anything in almost five years is an absolute miracle. <laughs> absolute, like, it's a miracle. And um, so then, like, I got this reputation in this, on the streets of Corona down there, which is, you know, in parts of Riverside to just be able to sell anything, you know? So I would go to this park, uh, city park on 6th Street in Corona, and I was either going to buy dope, going to come up on something, or boost something, or going to sell a bunch of stolen stuff. I always had money or had, you know, I always had a hustle going, and I just, just created this whole little thing, dude. And I did that for, I guess it wasn't as long as I thought. It felt like a really long time, but cause I got sober August 22nd of, of 2015. And so that all started like May or May, June of, of 2014. So it was a little over That's a year. long run. Yeah. To so not get caught. No. So what started happening though, was I started getting busted cause I got really I stopped caring about it, and I was just like, dude, I said the meanest things to those store employees, man, <laughs> and, like, I just would go in there with people who said they were going to kill these people if they came close to us, and, like, I don't say that in, like, I'm a gangster way, I say yeah. that in, like, I'm a junkie, and I'm dope sick, and, it, so and like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get this. Yeah. I probably won't actually stab you if you come near me, but those kind of people, they're just nine to five, rig like, yeah, they don't know you better. tell somebody like that, you're going to slit their throat, they're like, they'll back off and leave you yeah. alone, you know? And so I started getting busted, you know, and, and then I became known by the cops around there because yeah, I started a chain reaction. Yeah, I started getting lazy and going to all the same stores. I stopped taking the bus out of town because like when I was really doing, I'd take the bus out of town. It was a whole thing, dude. And I would make like $300 a day doing Jesus. this, you know, it was insane. And, uh, I mean, not every day, but you know, on average and like, that was just, and I had accepted that that was going to be my life, you know? Yeah. Um, my ex came back, you know, my ex came back into my life, not by my choice. She was out there strung out with me, banging all kinds of connects. You know what I mean? Like, That's just, a hustle in itself, you know? And then, like, I was, you know, supporting her habit. And it was just all bad, dude. Like, it was all bad. And, uh... But I, I didn't I, I didn't really care anymore. Like I was like I'm just gonna shoot heroin and steal shit. Yeah. That's gonna be my life. 
if I overdose and die or whatever, if I just do this for the rest of my life, then I'm all right with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, yeah, dude, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. And, uh, <laughs> that was about? a really long explanation. No, that's, drug. that's <laughs> golden. Uh, when did you decide to go to inpatient or, or turn so, it around? I was on a, I was, I had, I was on a payphone one day. I had just had a little, boosted a little amount of things and had like 25 bucks. So I was on a, I didn't have a cell phone, dude. That whole time? For years. Never had a cell phone. Unless it was stolen and I used it for a little bit and then sold it. Yeah. I never had a cell phone, dude, for years. So like, I was on the payphone and you know, when you get down into those gang-ish neighborhoods, Corona's not like you know, Santa Ana or nothing, but it's like, when you get down into those, like, areas, people are just on the corner selling dope, you know, yeah. or you, you get cool with the essays, and they know that you always have money, and you see them maybe in county once or twice, yeah. in a lot, or you know their cousin or some shit, and they just kind of, you kind of just get that, like, because you're just, I'm just like this, this white boy running around the streets, you know, stealing shit and buying dope, and like, I wasn't like robbing people or fighting nobody, but like, you know, and then you see him in county a few times, and they know you're cool, and like, whatever, you know? And, uh, they know you get busted, and you're not telling the cops nothing. Exactly. And, uh, and they just post up and sell dope. They keep the balloons in their mouth, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they don't even, it's just like, I didn't need a phone, really. There was a couple of guys. So, anyways, I, uh, I was on this payphone, and I was calling one of my connects to buy some heroin, uh, I had 25 bucks, and I was gonna fucking split the 20 with my chick, right? And, like, buy five, like, a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. And I was just, like, already bitter about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'm sitting there, and then, like, I see this car, because there's, like, right by this little Tootie's Taqueria on 6th Street in Corona, and I see my mom pull in uh, with my stepmom. And they both get out of the car, and I guess they they had been driving around down there looking for me. Oh shit! Yeah, dude. And um, they they and they're like, oh my god, like, and so they get out, and I'm like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like, I thought about hanging up and walking away, because I was like, I'm not trying to deal with this right yeah. now. This is why I believe in God or some kind of power of the universe, dude. Because again, all I wanted to do was steal stuff and shoot heroin. Mm-hmm. I had no other intentions in life. For some reason, I didn't run away or bounce. And I and, and my mom got out of the car, stepmom got out of the car, and then my son, at, by this time, was like one and a half years oh, old. Fuck. He got out of the car, and he was walking. I hadn't seen him, dude, since, you know, CPS took him from the hospital. Yeah. He got out of the car, and he, like, ran towards me. And that, like, it's, like chokes me up right now. That, like, did something to me, dude. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was God. I don't know if it was... I don't know what it was, but something happened to me. And it was like... I don't know, dude. A couple of days before that, I went into Riverside Drug and Alcohol Services and was like, I'm strung out, and, like, is there anything I can do? And they gave me, like, a packet. <laughs> What's that? Literally, the lady gave me a packet and was like, call some of these numbers. I didn't have... A, I was like, I don't have a cell phone. She's like, well, do you have insurance? I was like, I don't even have an ID. Like, I, I can't, I was so far gone, I couldn't even get food stamps, dude. Jesus. Like, that's how, that's how, like, disconnected from life I was. 
And um, I kind of had this, I think there was like this unconscious part of me that wanted to get sober. Yeah. Because I was tired, dude. I was fucking tired, man. Well, those the, It's an exhausting lifestyle once you hit that point in your... I was so tired, dude. Like, I was, I mean, you could see the scars on my arms. Like, I was yeah. like, dude, cellulitis multiple times, Ugh. staples in my arm, infections, abscesses, just like... Dude, at the end, I was just smoking heroin because I had my veins no were veins. blown out, dude. Yeah. And like, it was it was just crazy, man. Um, some some part of me like didn't want to do that anymore, even though I couldn't stop, you know. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so they come up to me. I see my son. Something happens inside of myself that I still can't explain. And my mom was like, "Are you ever gonna stop doing this?" And I was like, "You know what?" I'm really tired, honestly. So, if you have some idea, I'll do it. And uh, they were, she was shocked, you know. They were, my stepmom too, they were shocked. They didn't know what to do, you know. So, um, baby mom, you know, my, my ex, her family came and picked her up, got, you know, she was gone. My mom, this, and this is how I know, dude, that something happened to me in that moment because my mom was like, I'll buy you a hotel room for the night and you can call me in the morning. I was like, that's a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's a bad idea. That's crazy, dude. The fact that I said, you know, I was like, that's a bad idea. Yeah, especially in the state you were in. Dude, I would have had eight dudes in there with, you know what I mean? Serving. Trapping it out. Yeah, dude. Just like, you know, exactly what would have been happening there. But I was like, that's a bad idea. Why don't, I'll just try and go to the hospital for the night. Because I had these staples right here in my arm. From what? From an abscess. Oh, that they, they stapled it up they, over they stitches? Didn't even, yeah, dude. Because I had been in that hospital so many times. That they were they, sick of you. Yeah, right? dude. So they stapled it. Ugh. But it was infected because it had been like three weeks, you know. Um, That's insane. So I was like, I'll go to the hospital, see if they can dress my wounds. Yeah. Know? Maybe they'll let me stay the night and I'll call you in the morning. My mom was like, fine. She didn't think I was going to call her. Went up to the hospital. My stepdad actually showed up there. Because I hadn't seen my family in a long time, dude. And, uh... And my family always loved me, you know? I don't want anyone... Like, my childhood was okay. It was just, you know... My stepdad showed up there. And, uh... You know, he said hi to me. He gave me his encouragement. Told me he loved me. You know? And he had been with my mom since I was, like, three. So, I was like, okay. But I was sick, dude. Because I, sure. gave, I gave my chick the money because I just wanted her gone so bad. Yeah. But I was like, I knew if I gave her the money, she would pick up in her own way, and it was cool. So yeah. I got rid of her, but I had no money. Story for another time, I had come up on like $5,000 from this house. I hit this house with a dude that had one arm. <laughs> <laughs> he had like this little nub. He would hold the foil with the nub and smoke. Are you serious? I swear to God, dude. So, I had, yeah, that's like a whole other thing, but this is just, I mean, I, have all, I had all these escapades, right? Yeah. That we all, that we all have. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, at that time, I had, I had, I had five, came up on five G's. I gave this heroin connect, like, six bills to re-up one time, and he never paid me back. But, like, I didn't care, dude. I was like, whatever. Like, every time I saw, he was like this old, like, Tecato essay, like, mm. just like, you know. Old school heroin addict was yeah. in the pen in like the 60s, probably, you know, <laughs> just like, and so 
And every time I saw him, he would break me off. So I went up to the hospital, right? They dressed all my wounds, but I was like, I'm sick. I walked out of the hospital, and that dude was out there. That connect oh, was shit. out there. He's actually dead now. But he was out there, dude. And I was like, hey, what's up? And and uh, he's like, hey, like, I'm sorry about the money. Like, And I was like, dude, it's all good. Like, yeah. I think, And I was like, I think I'm going to go to rehab tomorrow. And that dude told me that that was a good idea and to get out of that town and never come back. And I was like, for some reason, hearing that from that dude that night was like, and I was like, okay, I was like, hey, I need something to, like, get me through the night. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, don't trip. Like, and he, like, I went and ripped off, like, a like a bag from the trash can outside the hospital, and he just gave me, like, a little, it was probably, like, a, you know, like, a little 20, maybe a little less. Yeah, a couple points. That was the last time I ever did heroin. I think that was, like, July 30th, 2015. Holy shit. Yeah. And my arms were so blown out that I just went in the bathroom and smoked the whole thing. Yeah. But I got well, dude. I yeah. love smoking heroin, man. I don't <laughs> care what anybody says. Like, you wasn't my about the taste? If it's good, if it's good heroin, it tastes like barbecue sauce or something, you know? Really? But if I'm... it's bad heroin, it tastes like vinegar and like yeah, you can make you throw up. Yeah. Um. So I got well and that was cool. Went to the park near the hospital. Uh, crashed on the jungle gym. <laughs> woke up the next morning, contemplated going to boost some shit and get like a 20, but I was like, nope, went, called my mom from the payphone. She was like blown away. She came and picked me up, you know, and like getting into treatment, dude, is not like, you don't just like get into treatment. No, that's, you gotta wait for an like, opening. Yeah, like it doesn't happen like that. I didn't know that. You know, I was just like, hey, I'm strung out. I need help. Like, you better help me. Myself. You have to go to detox first or... Uh, no, I detox from but my self-centeredness was like, I want to get sober, so you better do everything you can to help me, you yeah. know? And like, so, uh, my mom basically couldn't get anywhere that day, so she called my aunt, uh, she called my aunt and uncle who live here in Santa Barbara. My uncle went through, uh, the mission the same time as the director of the mission went through, so there was a little connection there, um, my aunt, bless her heart, was like, bring him to Santa Barbara, and I'll help him. And in my mind, I'm like, Santa Barbara, my uncle's on Suboxone, always. So in my mind, I'm like, Suboxone, they got Valium, probably. My mom gave me, like, a bag of weed. Oh, when shit. I, when she saw me, because she knew I was going to be sick. It's like your detox toolkit. Dude, but I was like, I'll just go kick it in Santa Barbara and just take pills and Suboxone and smoke weed. And, like, no intention to ever really, you know, have happened what happened. And, uh... So, I, dude, and I wrote this, this is all in the hero's journey, in a more, like, fairy tales type, type writing, yeah. like, the hero's journey blog. I was so dope sick, dude. Like, my mom went to this train station to put me on the train up there, and I got in, like, an argument with the security guard, <laughs> and he kicked me out, so my mom's like, I'm just fucking driving you. Oh, my God. God. But she drove me up here, dude, yeah. and, and I was puking out the car window. Oh, Jesus. Shaking, just, you know, the whole, like, dope sick like just all bad trying to smoke weed puking like just trying to smoke cigarettes just you know how it is painful to smoke oh dude weed always helped a little bit though a little bit so i got to santa barbara uh you know again my aunt let me kick on her floor at this house in galita she was renting a room from this lady who had no idea that i was there (laughs) kicking drugs you know heroin and shit and um yeah, so I got, like, some Subutex and some weed, and I just kicked on my own and, and uh, got through it. And um, I 
I don't know, dude. The idea of stone cold sobriety scared the shit out like of me. Like not even weed, not even anything. It scared me to death, dude. I was so afraid of that. I was just like when my uh so basically getting into inpatient was like I didn't know what I was doing, dude. I had no experience with rehab detox or anything. I was just like, okay, whatever. I, I just don't want to do heroin anymore. So yeah, um, I couldn't stop taking Valium though, because so the director of the program was like, dude, like, stop. You have to be sober to get in here. Came for intake, tested dirty for benzos. Still, he's like, go to detox, because I was already clean though. Last time I I got was August twenty second. It was on like. I think Galita Beach, I drank some champagne with my aunt and took some Valium and, like, smoked a little weed. And then the next day, um, I, I stopped everything because I knew that I needed to be sober to get in yeah. to this program. And I couldn't stay on my aunt's floor forever, right? So, yeah. so I went and I, you know, I was sobered up, uh, but, you know, a sober drug addict, or alcoholic with no program is like, that's a recipe for relapse. Dude. Oh, for sure. So, you know, so thank God, like I went to the detox. Uh, I was already clean though. I just was, wasn't testing clean because Valium stays Stay in your for system for so long. Yeah. So the director of the program was like, just go to the detox. When you can test clean, you can come in to the program. And I was like, okay. So I was there for like eight days. And then, yeah, I, I went over to the year. Dude, I didn't even think like, you know, I hear... Like, and now that I'm a counselor and, like, I work with so many clients and, and such, like, a common thing is, like, oh, my God, a year of my life. That's what I thought. You know, like, and, like, that, like, I don't, I can't relate to that, dude, because I was, like, I have no life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, I wasn't thinking about it as a year. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just thinking about it as, like, a place to live. I didn't know that other people got sober, dude. So when I walked into this place and everybody welcomed me with open arms and love, I was like, and then they're telling war stories and laughing and like, I was like, oh my God, like, this is like a whole new world. That's my community. This, you know, I was just like, this is crazy. And I got to my bed when I finally got in the program, I tripped out on it. They're like, yeah, this is your bed. And then I just sat on that bed and I was like, I'm going to live here. Like, this is, you know. It, that was the, I think the reason I was so successful in the beginning, dude, is because I had no opinions about anything. I had no idea what I was doing. I had like, I was just like, okay, you know, um, my best idea at that time was to go through this program and, uh, get a job, save some money, buy a bunch of heroin and take it back to Alaska and make a bunch of money. <laughs> that was, that's what I was going to do. And here I am now crazy. Yeah. You know? Um, because what happened to me there was, uh, I don't even know, dude. I can't even like, I can't even like put it into words, man. Like I got involved in, in, uh, you know, 12 step stuff. I, I, you know, I got involved in counseling. I learned work ethic there, you know? Yeah, me too. I, I washed the dishes for a long time. I worked with the homeless for, like, five months. I learned, like, what the problem was, you know? Yeah. That I was physically, mentally, and spiritually not well. 
And it's like this thing about being spiritually sick is thrown around like fucking it's it's like if you really comprehend what it means to be spiritually ill, that shit is heavy, dude, because like your soul or your spirit or whatever you want to call it, the part of yourself that holds your character, your emotions, um, your beliefs, your values, like that part of yourself that's not material or tangible, your soul you know, where you hold love and, you know, uh, gratitude and also fear and all of these things. Like that is like some power that is not human. In my opinion, that is the driving force behind everything that we do. And this is my opinion, right? No, my values, my beliefs, my perspective, love, all these things. So I got, sober and somebody taught me that that part of myself is completely in disarray. It's empty. It's broken. It's dead. It's asleep. Right. And that's the driving force of life for a human being. And and for people like us, it's, it's gone. There's no happiness. There's no love. It's, you know, the, the life is just sucked completely out of a person. Right. And I learned that when I got sober. You know, I had a lot of really, really awesome people teach me about alcoholism and drug addiction. This was before I even got into school, you know, Mm -hmm. amazing people, you know, uh, teach me about what the problem is and what the solution is and how to get from the problem to the solution. And dude, like I, you know, being such a good student and everything, I got really into the big book, you know, I was fascinated by it. Um, I related to it, right? Somebody asked me today, like, cause, cause now, like, years down the line, I, I'm very like, I'll, I'll teach a, I'll lead a big book study in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? I'll teach you about the big book on my own time in a heartbeat because I, I love it. You know? So I, somebody asked me today, like, when did you really start to like understand what that book is about? And like, and I was like, I mean, the first time going through it was like. I just related to it, right? Yeah. I was just like, yeah, hell yeah, I relate to all this. And then I started going to a lot of book studies, you know, and, and like, I just started studying it like a textbook, you know? And um, I learned so much, dude, about what was wrong with me and that if I didn't do something to treat the illness that I had, that I was going to relapse again. And I was scared shitless of going back, dude. Like, I... I knew the truth enough and had been separated from it long enough and had all this knowledge now and, and had taken all of these actions and cleaned up so much wreckage from my past and and just like dude like I had this awakening that and, and, and other people can share this too I'm sure like where I legitimately wanted to help other people out of the kindness of my heart you know what I mean like I access love and and like and just care for others in a way that was just like crazy, dude. And like, and now like years down the line in sobriety, it's not that, it's not like that anymore. I have to work for that now, you know, but like that was the initial like transformation for me. And, uh, it was just wild, dude. I love the process of recovery, man. I love it. I think, I think recovery is incomplete without a spiritual aspect. Um, it doesn't, you know, it can be whatever, 
it doesn't it what whatever that is for you but like your soul is sick and you got to do something about that in my opinion you know mm-hmm. and you know and then i just my first job in sobriety was uh at a car wash i took the bus to and from a car wash for uh, six days a week and i vacuumed Jesus. cars and i dried yeah. cars in the sun in like may and june in california <laughs> that's brutal yeah Dude, big shout out to Santa Barbara City College and like the EOPS department and the transitions program would take people like us and transition them from the way we live to being a college student. I did the transitions program in the summer of 2016 because like I didn't know what I wanted to do and, and like this guy was like, you know, why don't you try some counseling classes? And I was like, cool, whatever. Like, and I was just working at the car wash and I got involved in uh, in school, and I was fascinated with addiction, man, especially heroin addiction. I was like, I, I don't know, I was just like, it was just fascinating to me. And this was like, I guess like the whole opioid epidemic thing was kind of happening at that time, 2016. So that coupled with like this desire to help people. I was like, I'm going to try to be a counselor. And like, the, you know, and it, that's, that's such like the, the, the cliche thing, right? Like, get it sober, get it <laughs> No one ever finishes that shit, dude. People start it and nobody finishes it. But like, I got a plaque in my office now that says like, I'm certified by the, you know, counseling board of California to be a drug and alcohol treatment counselor, you know? So like, I finished it, dude. And like, um, that, that was really cool for me. And, um sobriety or recovery has been a trip i watched my mom die in the hospital in recovery dude unexpectedly i didn't know that she was drinking and and taking pills like the way she was and her liver i think i still don't know the answer really to this and i had just spent mother's day weekend with her bought her a massage just we were just starting to 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 grow this relationship that i never had with her growing up you know and I had put her through so much. And uh, the weekend after Mother's Day, it was like Monday, May 21st, I got a call from my stepdad that my mom was in the hospital, in ICU. Dude, no idea that anything was wrong with her at all. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And like, he wouldn't tell me, you know, it was like, yeah. it was just weird, dude. And then, and then he was like, I don't think, I don't know if she's going to make it. And I was like, what like what and um there's something to say about uh having a support group of people in recovery who have been around for a while and have some life experience and who are consistently like solid people um in in your life or in my life so of course I leaned on people you know I called a friend and he's like dude go down there you know because I didn't know what to do I'm like you know that's heavy shit to deal with yeah 2018 so I was like two and a half years sober at that time. Yeah, dude, like I I went down there. I wish I would have never seen my mom in the condition she was in. She was already gone, man. Like she was just hooked up to so much stuff. And like I I tried, I like, it was just like, I wish I would have never seen her like that, you know? Well, yeah, you don't want that to be the lasting image of family. And it kind of, it kind of like. It's not, but it kind of is. And I'm kind of like upset that I did that. Um, that was a crazy time, dude. Same hospital that I, the same hospital 
where I did heroin for the last time in that Jesus. in that bathroom. That's the same hospital my mom died in, dude. Fuck. Same town, same city, same everything, but I had a new perspective on life. Yeah. And I had a solution to my problem, and so I went there a whole different person, dude. I just yeah, seeing my mom like that, and then like she was she she was gone, dude. She was gone, you know, and like to go from the junkie. And the, and the person I was that my family wanted nothing to do with, to have my stepdad ask me, what should we do the next time her heart stops? Like, if that's not, like, transformation and spiritual awakening and, and all that shit, like, I don't know what is, you know? He literally was like, what should we do? Like, asking me. And, um, again, called somebody in my support group, you know, from... From my, yeah, from my support group. I'm, like, tripping on saying shit about AA and stuff, but I'm, like, whatever, you know, because of, like, the traditions and all that. Oh, I know. <laughs> but this isn't radio, so whatever. Yeah. And they don't know my last name, so. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I don't have any personal social media either. I just have the one for my radio show, and there's no, my name is not on there. But, yeah, dude, I called somebody who I, you know, and they were, like, man, you don't know what could happen, you know? have them bring her back to life as much as they can because you don't know what could happen and so that's what I told my stepdad a person from person from AA gave me that information and uh, I told my stepdad that and then she died and uh, my stepdad was like there's blood all over her room at the house Uh-oh. Yeah, she was throwing up blood because what happened is that she had like cirrhosis or something yeah. or liver cancer and she didn't really tell anybody, dude. That's how my mom was. Like she was like, she was just a solid lady. She was cool as hell, dude. So her liver basically inflamed and pushed on the rest of her organs and she internally bled and it was just, you know, she couldn't, her body stopped functioning. So this is, like, all happening in one day, dude, and I'm just, like, vaping my life away, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, like, totally, like, I don't know, calling everybody I know, like, I don't know what to do, you know? And when I talk about this, like, awakening of the spirit to tr- change the perception to think of others, like, this shit kicked in, dude, like, it's real, I'm telling you. When my stepdad told me that about the blood in the room, I... I went back up to the house and my thinking was like, let me clean up the room and let me clean this blood off the floor so that my son doesn't have to see this or the, re- or the rest heavy. or the rest of my family. And I don't say that to be like, Oh, look at me. Look how spiritual I was no. in this moment. I say that like as just a homage and ode to the process of recovery. If it's done right, like that's what it did for me, dude. Like, and I went back up to the house and, uh, I cleaned up all her blood off the floor and it was one of the gnarliest things ever. Maybe the craziest thing minus all the shit I did when I was using drugs. That was probably one of the he- it, the heaviest thing I've ever done. Uh you know, her bedding, like it was just everywhere, dude. Like oh. and it was it was crazy, man. And I, as I was on the carpet scrubbing trying to get the blood out, I had this like realization and I was like this is it, you know what I mean? Like, all I ever wanted was to be okay, and all I ever wanted was to just have, like, a life that was purposeful, or just, like, you know how it is, dude, when you're deep in that shit, man, and you're just, like, I just want to be okay, you know? Yeah. And I, like, had this moment where I was just, like, this is it, you know what I mean? Like, this is what I've been preparing for, obviously, the power of the universe, or whatever is, like, Cause I was sponsoring a bunch of people at that time. Like I was spiritually in a good place. 
I spent a week down there. I handled with my stepdad all the corner stuff. And, like, it's just crazy, dude. Like, when you walk through something like that, it's like, people I knew had died, you know, but I was loaded through all that. It's just crazy. It's just, like, absolute shock. You know what I mean? Like, the whole time. It's not real. And when you're sober, it's a trip because you feel that shit, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, so, and, like, I know, well, I'll wrap this up. I know I'm, like, going on and on. No, it's, this is, so, this is heavy. Trip out on this, dude. Like, trip out on this. I went to uh, I went to a meeting every day I was down there because I was tripping I didn't know what the fuck to do well, I was yeah. calling people like dude it was insane like it was I'd never once thought about drinking or getting high isn't that crazy dude like ne- in that same hospital the same city like I had a gang of money in the bank like never once did I think about getting high dude and uh I went to this meeting. It was like a Wednesday night men's meeting. The meetings down there were like, dude, they were so funny. Like, hour and a half long, two smoke breaks. Like, nice. Just, yeah, it was, it was trippy. So, I went to this meeting. This is trippy, dude. I went to this meeting, and, you know, I, I, fi- I figured I should share at every meeting, right? Because, like, I just, I'm going through this shit, and, like, this is my, these are, my, you know, this is my home. This is my family no matter where I go. So I shared this thing about my mom dying, right? And what I did and what happened and like, whatever, it was, it was fine. At the end of the meeting, this dude comes up to me and is like, it's like, hey man, like I'm really sorry, you know, about what happened. And I'm like, yeah, thanks dude. And he's like, what day did your mom pass away on? And I was like, uh, it was Monday morning. And he, and he just like, dude, like he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, cause I'm a fire, I'm a firefighter. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, I was on that call. He what? Was, yeah, dude. He was like, I picked your mom up and put her on the stretcher. And I was like, and I just like, and this dude was sober. You know what I mean? Like he was like a sober member of, of AA. Yeah. And like, I mean that, that's not coincidence, you know? And my mom always was attracted to firemen. Like, she was always, like... And so... And, and I still have this guy's number, dude. Like, I... It was just so crazy, man. Like, I just... Like, I don't know. It was just wild. I knew that there's a greater power, like, that I had... That I was tapping into that was the guiding force for that. And, uh... The even crazier thing is that I was so frustrated. My fucking family didn't, couldn't give me an answer as to what happened. I was like, how long was she sick for? You know, like, what is that? That's just like how it is, you know, with, with my family, you know, and, uh, nobody could give me an answer, dude. And I started getting resentful about it, you know, was it because they didn't know or they didn't want to tell you? I don't know. I think they were afraid that if I knew anything was going You'd on, handle it maybe not in the right way. Yeah, because people who aren't us don't understand this shit. You exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if I tell him something, he's going to get mad and shoot heroin like yeah rightly so they believe that Um, my family actually does the same thing yeah which is like yeah (laughs) we we have to understand that right because um so i had been mad about not getting these answers and so i asked this dude this firefighter dude right i was like hey like nobody's telling me what really happened can you and he's like i'm really not supposed to and i was like all right and he's like but you know what like i'll tell you and he gave me the rundown and like basically my mom's liver failed 
and it and it like inflamed and ruptured like her stomach and stuff. And so and and the fact that like I was so mad about nobody telling me this and then I ran into this guy and like he has the answer, you know? And it, it, it was just crazy, man. And uh yeah, never drank, you know, I I stayed sober through all that like I mean, that that was like one of the craziest things maybe ever. And I've I've seen some shit, dude, and I've yeah. been around, you know, and like that was yeah. So, you know, the uh, grief is a really not, grief is a really crazy thing. I I advocate and encourage and absolutely think that grief recovery should be taught in every treatment center in the world because I think that um those parts of people that hold that pain can be very they can like eat you up. Yeah, dude, and I think that it's very uncomfortable work. I've done a lot of grief work with my therapist about my mom and other people in my life that I've lost and, and it's uncomfortable work, but I think it's very necessary, you know? That's the shit that, like, the 12 steps won't treat, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, so I think that... That's where, like, therapy comes in and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, that was crazy. I mean, like, I don't... Yeah, sobriety, like, you know, almost five years down the line for me has been really the last year has been really trippy dude like it's been you know like once you get away from like once you get your own place like I have my own house that I you know I mean I mean my aunt have her own house like I have a nice house I have my own car you know I have like I have an amazing girl that I'm absolutely in love with that's like a girl that I would that I want to spend the rest of my like just insane dude she's more than I could have ever wanted I have a relationship with my son I have a relationship with my family. It's weird, but it's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I exercise all the time. I mean, it's just crazy, dude. I'm actually, like, it's it's crazy, man. And have the radio thing. I go to a bunch of shows, you know, um, that the coronavirus is messing up right yeah. now. <laughs> serious. But... You know, once you get away from, like, residential treatment, sober living, post-graduation living, and once you get, like, I mean, the true test is every day, right? Because every day that we don't drink or use drugs is an absolute miracle, in my opinion. Like, every day that you can go to sleep and be like, damn, I, I did not get high today, or, you know, let alone, like, all the other productive things we do, right? But... You know, every day is like a victory, man, because addiction is the only, it's the most unique disease in the world. Maybe not like scientifically, but like it's the only disease in the world where you have, you have to diagnose yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, we just can't win, dude. Like human, in my opinion, mankind, science, uh, psychotherapy, uh, psych, you know, it just toe to toe with the illness of addiction. We can't win. If you're like the hopeless variety, hopeless type, you know, we can't, we can't win. It's gotta be, it's gotta come from something else. You know, I don't know if it's Jesus or God or the force or like, you know, but it's, it's something outside of ourselves. No matter. I think it's inside. I think it's inside of myself because the complexity of the mind and the physiology of the body itself 
is like just mind blowing. Like we are sitting here and our bodies are digesting, our respiratory system's working, all of these things are happening in my brain and all this and like I'm not I'm not telling my body to digest the food I <laughs> ate, you know? Like it's yeah. just I think that that power, you know, that makes the planets and the galaxy go the oceans, like, I think, you know, the plants grow, like, photosynthesis, all that crazy shit, dude, like, I think that same power is within every single human being, you know, I think that we just, we, we just create all of this stuff that just blocks us off from, from getting into that, you know? That's how I feel, I felt a disconnection with society and everything around me, yeah. which is why I was... Yeah, using outside substances yeah, to try and fill that void. Drugs make that make that okay, you know. Yeah. Um. And and I went off on a tangent. No, that was gold. But but like, once you get to this point, you know, it's like it's really like, it's you got to be serious about this thing, dude. Because like you know, it's it's a what does it say? Like it's a subtle foe. It'll creep up on you. You know, and you'll be loaded before you even realize that you wanted to get loaded, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I know That's that... scary realization, Dude, I've too. seen... Like, my best friend that I made in recovery in residential treatment died in December. My closest friend, dude, that, like... That blew my mind. Yeah, you knew... Hardcore. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, it's just... Yeah. I haven't even opened myself up to even think about that loss, you know? Because it's just, like, I, I've had so much going on, and, like... I mean, that's just, you know... That's what it is, man. It's like, it's, it's real, dude. That's why I tell the clients I work with and the people, like, you can fuck around and, and, and do all the shit you want and, like, you know, break the rules and, like, that's all good, but, like, you're going to lose the bat. You're going to lose, you know? If you do not understand how sick you really are, you're not going to understand how bad you really need to treat it, you know? The treatment of my illness is contingent on how bad I think it is. If I'm not doing shit for recovery, I'm going to think I'm just like everybody else, you know? And I just really try to, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, like, I really try to, like, help my clients see that, you know? Like, this thing is serious. And hopefully you, you very few people get and stay sober, you know? And... And that in itself is an overwhelming kind of fact that when I see people who have more clean time than me or who I think run a better program to me, I'm like, well, fuck, like, <laughs> what am I doing? Because I thought he was doing the, the deal way better than me. And so-and-so went out, or this guy went out, I'm like, fuck, yeah. what chances do I have unless I take this more seriously? Yeah. Especially the times I should have died, like... That was terrifying, you know? And somehow, I don't know how, but the the fact that I was lucky enough to come out and get Narcan or this or that, that was like... It showed me how easily... And then just seeing so... Especially lately, so many people have been relapsing or so many people have been dying from an overdose. It's horrible, And um, I've had more people hit me up, especially now that, you know, a lockdown is going on, asking me for help. It's very bizarre that people see my progress and think of me as, like, have accomplished something. Because I still feel like I have so much long ways to go before I even yeah. feel like I'm 
somewhat near out of the woods or have it together. I'm still like... It's over for over a year. It's a long-ass time, dude. <laughs> it, it is, but... And, like, I, I'm proud of that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm realizing that... Because I thought, yeah, once I'm done with this program, it's going to be like this or going to be like that, and now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm realizing how much more of this journey I have to take it yeah. to even feel remotely confident in it you know I, th- I sobriety's a trip life's a trip I mean man. I don't know if how much clean time matters if if you're not taking action it can take one mistake for you to lose all that's the clean exactly time anyway, right yeah you know so and so and again dude like if you have been abstinent and been away from drugs for 13 years or whatever you've seen life and you've been able to stay clean through it but I think if somebody stays sober for 20 years without program, they're probably not a hopeless drug addict or alcoholic, you know? Because that's I mean, crazy. I've heard of people with 20 years out <coughs> after 20 years, too. So. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but that's, I mean, again, dude, this is just all my opinion, which doesn't mean shit. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, I mean, I I have my, you know, have my little life and, and you know, I, I, I try to just... I try to just know, like, what, I try to just know the severity of, of it every day, you know, and, and help as many people as I can, and dude, like, sobriety's been so gnarly at certain times, dude, like, I've, I've, I've gotten, like, I've gotten two psychiatric evaluations in the past year because I've thought that I've, I'm clinically depressed, um, I was sleeping so bad, um, last year that, like, I, I started taking sleeping medication, and that was like a whole nother venture for me. Um, I tried EMDR because of all the trauma. EMDR. Yeah, because of like all the. Oh, tra- I've heard of that. Yeah, because of like all the trauma and stuff. Um, it's like eye movement desens or desensitization. Yeah. Rapid, whatever. I I don't know. Or um, which was kind of cool. It was it was intense, but it was too expensive. I couldn't afford it anymore. <laughs> um. And so, yeah, man, I mean, that's just kind of like what, you know, sobriety is, uh, is, it it can be very difficult, you know, um, it's just all comes back to like, what am I doing, you know, because like my life could be absolutely wonderful on the outside, but if my perception sucks, then it's misery. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I know exactly how that is. All right, I think I've said enough, man. <laughs> that was intense. All right, but to wrap it up, what do you want to say to anyone out there who's listening who may be struggling or going through it or, or trying to seek some kind of solution? Like, Because I know there's a lot of people who are, because I, I, I speak with a lot of people who message me who are yeah are trying to find an inpatient or getting an inpatient or and getting out and or people who have been relapsing or, or that, because I've... I've Surprisingly enough, especially lately, I've talked to a lot of struggling addicts through yeah. Instagram and social medias. Yeah. Good. That's awesome that you're doing that. And I, and I, I mean, I try to give them the best advice I can. Um, well, I mean, right now is a weird time in the world. Especially. You know, uh, the global pandemic definitely makes things weird. Um I mean, so it's kind of like two different things. Like, if you're asking for anybody who's struggling and going through it. Yeah. If you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to struggle and go through it for the rest of your life. You know? Um, you're powerless over it. 
if you're at that point. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I could be, I mean, honestly, dude, like anybody who's struggling and going through it and like, that's just what they're doing. It's like something ma major is going to have to happen for you to stop, you know, if you don't die or do something stupid enough to get washed up for the rest of your life in prison, you know, um, so I would say take a hard, hard look, um, at what you've been doing and how you've been living, preferably when you're sober so you can see like, damn, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then before you go out and screw up anything else and hurt any more people, reach out to somebody who is a good, you know, in a good, uh, place who loves you and cares about you and tell them that you want help. And if you're supposed to get sober at that time and your heart is in the right place and that's truly, truly what you want, the power of the universe or whatever will probably make that happen. You know, I yeah. don't know, maybe not. So that's what I would say. Um, anybody who wants to get help, I would say just fucking hang in there, you know, like go to detox if you can. Uh, but just hate, like, just, you know, because anybody who's detoxed and gotten into recovery, it's like, there's going to be, like, those days and weeks or however long that you're going to feel like shit. And that you want to give up. That you want to yeah. give up. And you're going to, you know, you're going to feel like shit. And that's okay. Because, like, if you do the work and you put your opinions to the side and your prejudice and your pride and your ego and all that stuff for a little while and listen to some people who have some experience, your life will get better, you know? So I would say like, hang, just hang in there. But no, like you are trying to go toe to toe with one of the most deadliest, nearly untreatable diseases mankind has ever seen in the history of the world. And you are so far gone, as was I, that you think, delusionally, you can win that fight. After your life has been destroyed, you go back out and try to do it again. That's what you're trying to battle, you know?